Well, good morning, and let me add my welcome to this live stream. Uh, my name is Roger Day. I'm one of the assistant ministers here at Chalmers. Uh, and you may have noticed I'm not actually standing in Chalmers Church building. Uh, we're standing in my lounge as I record this uh, because my family is in self-isolation at the moment, hopefully from some colds, but and we're taking precautions. The good news, though, is that uh, God's word is not housebound. And while we hugely miss meeting together, um, I'm hoping and praying this will still be a hugely encouraging time. So let me pray for God's help as we turn to his word. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gift of technology that enables us to share like this around your word. We thank you that you are not limited by space and time. Thank you that you are with each one of us right now. Thank you that you're not limited by knowledge or foresight. Thank you that the events of recent weeks did not take you by surprise. And Father, we thank you that you're not limited by power. And we pray that you would be at work as we look at your word to strengthen us and encourage us that in a world changing so rapidly, you do not change. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it goes without saying that we are living in unnerving times, strange times. I'm aware there'll be a whole range of uh, experiences uh, amongst us of how the last week has been, of how the next week or the next months are looking as our society reorganises at a scale and a speed not seen since wartime. Some of us will be deeply anxious about our livelihoods, about our health, our ability to cope alone, our ability to parent 24-7 in an enclosed space, our ability to look after those who we love and are particularly vulnerable. For some of us, the effects won't yet have been keenly felt. Some have no work now, others are busier than ever. But across all that variety, the one thing I keep hearing hundreds of times probably this last week from neighbours, friends, family, colleagues, political leaders is it's strange. How are you feeling? It's strange. And I guess listening to God's word preached online rather than in person is strange. It's going to take us all a bit of getting used to. But wonderfully, God's word is no less relevant or powerful or necessary when it comes down a fiber optic cable. And so I can't think of really more relevant or helpful passage than 1 Corinthians 15 to be looking at this morning. We're just carrying on our normal series. Uh, we're, we're doing this series in 1 Corinthians 15 and 16 about whether it's worth it being a Christian, worth living as a Christian. And today we're continuing to consider the reality of resurrection that makes it all worth it. So if you do have a Bible, please open it in 1 Corinthians 15, or there's a link to Bible Gateway you can click through for free. That will help you check what I'm saying against God's word. And there's an outline, should be an outline online too. Now I've actually preached this passage in the past, and my opening question to get people thinking was, do you ever think much about death? Do you ever think about your own death? But of course, the days are gone for needing to introduce that idea. The days of pushing thoughts about death far from our minds, they're well gone. 
11,000 dead worldwide, a global pandemic, no known vaccine, daily updates on the casualty count. Many of us are struggling to think of anything else, if we're honest. But of course, when you do step back and think about death, well, to state something obvious, it's not that the threat of death has suddenly become a new phenomenon for the human race. One way or another, death has always been the inevitable reality of every single human being on the planet for as long as the history books go. It's not even that we've, we've never known for certain kind of when the moment of death's gonna come to us personally. It's always been that it could come any moment, whether sooner or later. So what has changed? as this pandemic sweeps around. Well, I think the difference right now is that we can't put the topic of death on the mental back burner. We can't hide death in the cupboards of our minds, something to sort out some other day. No, we're all having to face up to the reality of it all around the globe, all at once. The COVID-19 disease is waking us up to the fact that life is fragile. Death is coming, whether sooner or later it's really coming. And because, especially in the West, we spend so much of our lives trying to pretend that isn't true, well, it's a terrifying, uh, sobering shock to the system. You see, here is an enemy that might not be stoppable. Here's a problem that for all our technology and knowledge and medical prowess and developed society and riches and comfort, we might not solve this one, at least not soon. It's hard to keep burying your head in the sand when death is sweeping across the globe in real time. And so my big question we're considering this morning is simply this, is there any reliable hope in the face of death? Is there any? reliable hope in the face of death. I mean, it is striking how much we crave even the slightest shred of kind of hopeful news at the moment, a possible vaccine test, maybe some drug trials, perhaps someone could make ventilators. And of course, even if the tide was turned on COVID-19, and we do pray it will, we work for it too, well, death is still gonna come one way or another. Because of course, death is the big enemy of which this pandemic is one particularly potent, particularly frightening arrow in the quiver. So could there be a more urgent and more important question than this? Is there any reliable hope in the face of death? I say reliable hope because that's the issue, isn't it? We said last week, there are loads of options if you want kind of sentimental, fluffy niceties, if you want some verbal cotton wool to wrap around the issue, as if a bit of imaginary myth-making is gonna prove a comfort at the hospital bedside, you know, passing to another room, going to be with the stars, looking down on us. That won't do in days like these. That won't do by the bedside. And the Bible doesn't do that. The, the Bible faces up to death 
as a reality, honestly, frankly, candidly. And actually, rather than pretending it's, it's something natural in this world, the Bible calls death how it is, as an intrusion, an enemy, something terrible, frightening, a, a distortion of the created order, not what we're made for. And best of all, the Bible provides hope, actual, factual hope. You see, there is a happy ending in this universe. There is a hope of resurrection, life after death, life beyond the grave, eternal life. And that truth is the best news in the world. It is a, it's the most solid of anchors in life. It's the kind of rock you can build your life upon and discover that when the storms come, it holds. How can we be sure it's reliable? Well, through 1 Corinthians 15 so far, the Apostle Paul's been arguing that because Jesus Christ actually, factually rose from the dead, well then, it's not make-believe that there will be a physical resurrection to come. Let, let me say that again, it's important. The eyewitness testimony of multiple witnesses over multiple days, confirmed after that first Easter, that the man they'd seen dead and buried, they then saw definitely leave a tomb empty and appear alive, raised well. So resurrection has been proved possible in actual factual history. And so it's not a fairy tale when, it's, when the Bible says it will happen in the future to come. And just on this, a couple of people have asked me in recent weeks, uh, what actually happens to a Christian the moment they die? Do we immediately get a physical resurrection body? And the Bible's answer to that is no, we have to wait until Jesus' return for that. Verse 23, make that clear. So what happens immediately when a Christian dies is that they go to be with Jesus. As Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. As Paul says in Philippians, I desire to be with Christ. So the souls in, of Christian believers are kept safe in heaven with Christ in this intervening period before being given resurrection bodies on his return. And I'm saying that and praying as I say it, that that would be a huge comfort to those in our church family for whom death is not some abstract discussion, but a personal impending reality, whether for you or for someone you love. The moment a Christian believer's eyes close for the first time, Jesus will meet you. He will be with you. Your saviour will welcome you home to wait for a resurrection body when he returns, a body to enjoy for all eternity. At which point, I guess if anyone's watching this who isn't a Christian, perhaps you, you kind of stumbled across this YouTube feed by accident, well, you might well be thinking, hang on, hang on, this sounds crazy. I mean, life after the grave, Resurrection bodies, it's just nonsense talk. But here's the thing, 
A physical resurrection body, a bodily existence beyond the grave, was every bit as strange an idea to Greek and Roman thought back then, when this was first written, as it is today. Perhaps even more so. And you can see that from verse 35, which is the question that kind of kicks off our passage today. Verse 35, someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I mean, that's the question. What kind of bodies are we going to have? Surely our souls maybe might, might carry on somehow, but, but surely not a body. And actually, you can see from Paul's reaction, that's less of a question and more of an objection. Okay, Paul, <laughs> you say there's going to be a physical resurrection of the dead. Well, tell me, how's that actually going to work then? It's the voice of ridicule. It's as common in Edinburgh as it was in Corinth. Oh, we're going to be raised, are we? Okay. What about the people who got cremated? What about the people whose molecules are reused in other people? Someone else's body now, eh, Paul? What age are people going to be? I mean, what kind of body? Stupid idea. To which Paul's response, verse 36, is, you're the foolish one. And so begins his argument that physical resurrection bodies, far from being kind of crazy science fiction, actually make sense. We're going to see three points he makes as we go through the argument. Three points about this body. What kind of body? Well, one, it's a different body. Two, it's a better body. Three, it's a certain body. Different, better, certain. And each time he's going to give a reason to have confidence that this is not crazy. So it's a different body, exactly like the creator's style. It's a better body, exactly like we need. And it's a certain body, exactly like history and scripture show. And so far from being a crazy idea, resurrection, physical resurrection is rational and certain. And so as Christians, we are set free. We'll see this by the end. We are freed from the fear of death. We are freed to serve sacrificially in this life. Free to look outwards in love. So then let's dive in to point one. A different body, exactly like the creator's style. Now here Paul's going to take us back to the classroom to remind us of God's style in the natural creation around us. See, I think our temptation is to hear talk of resurrection bodies and think that sounds like something out of Harry Potter. But actually, a, a resurrection body is part of the world we live in. Uh, every time a child plants watercress seeds in an eggshell, um, used to be they do that at school, but maybe now, parents, this is a, a tip if you're facing the daunting few months of um, home activities. Uh, every time, verse 35, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Do you see the point he's making? Who would look at an acorn dying in the ground and expect its future body to be the size and shape of a massive tree. That's the creator's style. He gives different bodies as he chooses. So don't look at a human body. 
rotting six feet under and assume, well, that must be game over. God's proven he can produce a different body out of death. But actually, Paul doesn't just want to school us in biology. He wants to ram the home this idea of difference. Because actually, science tells us it's not just death to life that God's a master of, but variety. So verse 39, physiology. All flesh is not the same. Men, animals, birds, fish, remarkably different in form. What about cosmology? Verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies and they all have radically different splendour. Even within those contrasting realms. So here's some ABC astronomy. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another and the stars another and star differs from star in splendour. Do you see the point? Variety is God's style. Or in other words, the imagination failure argument that says, look, Paul, I really can't imagine what this body's going to be like. Well, that's forgotten the world we live in, the world that screams out God's ability to bring bodily life from death and to produce wildly different bodies to suit their environment. Whether it's the differing splendour of a sardine or a supernova, God has proven he can pull this kind of thing off. So then here's a tip. If social distancing or self-isolation is beginning to grate on you, why not open the window or take a private walk and have a look at the sun? Not, not directly, obviously, but maybe the night stars. And think to yourself, the God who made that, the God who made that, he can probably pull off resurrection bodies if he wants to. See, my imagination may be small, but his is not. Sometimes I'm just so grateful for living in this world that shouts the glory of God. It, it shouts at us that while we are small, he is not. That's point one. A different body, just like God's style in creation. But secondly, and wonderfully, verses 42 to 48, it will be a better body, a better body. You see, just as the sun is, is perfectly suited to its celestial environment up there, well, verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead, different and better. You see, at the moment, our bodies are pretty rubbish. I'm not, I'm not picking anyone personally, I can't actually see you, but even before COVID-19, many of us were acutely aware that our bodies are aging and weakening. They're not working like they used to. In blunt words, they're dying. If we didn't know that, we've now got a global pandemic to thrust the vulnerable fragility of the human body right in our face. Verse 42 puts it like this, the body that is sown is perishable. That's our current one. But listen to this, it's raised imperishable, sown in dishonour, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. How I long for that day. I'm looking forward to a better body. 
I'm already creaking. I mean, I've got recurring back pain. My wife, more seriously, has chronic fatigue. And we're relatively young and healthy. Many of us know Christians whose bodies are far worse, whose bodies are a constant source of pain or frustration, or perhaps especially at the moment, a source of fear and worry. If we haven't experienced that with relatives, friends, church family yet, it does seem like we will in the coming months. The Bible's really clear, humanity bears the marks of sin and judgment. Originally, we were created very good. We were made for life, but then we rebelled against our maker, were judged and became perishable. To dust, you will return. So now, here we are, just tiny, weak human seeds, like pathetic little acorns, waiting for glorious new creation bodies of power of immortality. I mean, just imagine that, a body that doesn't tire, a body I'm not ashamed of, a, a body that isn't dying on me, indeed cannot die on me, an invincible body, a better body. Where else can you find that? If you are just looking in on Christianity Day, if you found us online, where else are you going to go to deal with your ageing, dying body? Of course, vitamins, vegetables, exercise can help, should be encouraged. Actually, the gyms have closed and the shelves are often empty. And even when they were full, it was only delaying the inevitable. How are we going to deal with our dying body? Well, Jesus Christ provides a real, physical, reliable solution. This body of death will be replaced by a resurrected body, a body of power, life, glory, a better body. And wonderfully, point three, this isn't just a figment of religious imagination. It's not just another human myth, wishful, make-believe. No, it's a certain body, as scripture and history shows. And by history there, I mean this parallel between Adam and Jesus that's in verses 44 to 49. So just like Adam passed on his body type to us all, well, so Jesus is a prototype of a new creation humanity. He's the first fruits, the, the sample crop. He'll pass on his resurrection body. That's what verse 44 is saying. We saw the same thing last week back in verse 21. Jesus will pass on life just as effectively as Adam passed on death. The comparison is really striking. Adam was humanity mark one, labelled natural, perishable, dust to dust. Jesus is humanity mark two, spiritual, imperishable. Just look in verse 45, whereas Adam was given life by God, as Genesis says, Jesus, the new Adam, can, can give life out himself. Verse 48, just as we all hit the dust because of Grandpa Adam, well, so Christ will share the heavenly new creation life with us all. And remember, there's historical evidence for this. Over 500 witnesses seeing the Lord Jesus alive after the grave. So verse 49, 
Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. It is certain, not something from a comic book. The resurrection of Christians, Jesus's race, is as certain as the death of Adam's race, which so far is pretty close to 100%. A certain body. But it's not just that history proves it. Scripture itself actually demands it. And this is where Paul begins to come into land from verse 50 onwards. This is the most amazing part of the chapter. Paul closes his argument with this incredible thought, verse 50, that because we all need these better bodies to enter God's kingdom, well then those of us who are alive when Jesus returns, or just listen to verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. This is, this is really amazing. We will not all sleep. That is, there are some Christians who will never hit the dust. Those alive when Jesus returns. These Christians will receive their resurrection bodies, not through the grave, but instantaneously, through being transformed at the moment the Lord Jesus returns, in, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The image here, it's more designer clothing than dead acorns. It's a kind of dream makeover. Verse 53, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. This is a new outfit of immortality for every believer alive when Christ returns. I mean, how good would that be? It's a real reason to pray, come Lord Jesus. I don't know if you found yourself lying in bed this week in the night worrying about death. I have. I mean, when the world and the news is drenched with death, it's pretty hard not to. Well, in the face of that terror, this passage has the most wonderful hope, comfort. Turns out the last sound I hear in this life might not be the, the rasping breath of infected lungs. It might be the roaring blast of the trumpet. In fact, as I said last week, my resurrection is more statistically certain than my death. Because it depends when Jesus comes back. He might return in our lifetimes. But even if he doesn't, Death is not the final winner. That hideous shadow over humanity is not going to have the last laugh. Just look at verse 54. When the mortal is clothed with immortality, the saying that's written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That quote about swallowing up death is from Isaiah. It's the first reading we had. It, it describes death as this kind of great shroud that's that's hanging over all peoples, over every nation. And we don't need any proof of that, do you? Just, just think of that map with those big red circles of global pandemic growing and growing and growing. It's the, the global shadow of death. It's actually nothing new. Isaiah was aware of it. But the amazing thing in Isaiah 25 is that God promises to remove it. No, not just remove it, to swallow it. He says he will swallow up death 
forever, freeing people from all over the nations, from the shadow, from the fear of an enemy they cannot face down themselves. This is precisely why Jesus Christ came. 800 years later, he came to face death down on our behalf, to live the life we should have, to die the death we deserve in our place. Jesus, God himself, taking on flesh to swallow death on our behalf, to take the hit eternally so that we don't have to. You see, this resurrection plan is so certain that God promised it thousands of years before and before our day and fulfilled it 2000 years ago at the cross of Christ. A certain plan, a certain body, history and scripture show it. All of which means, as we turn to close, that the Christian really can have confidence in the face of death. Obviously, we're still anxious about when and how. We have wobbly moments. We don't look forward to the process of dying, but we need not fear death's ultimate power. This is an enemy that's already lost once to Jesus and will do again. On that day, verse 55 says, we'll say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That last question is really amazing. It's a quote from Hosea, and in the original context, it was God summoning death to bring judgment, to bring the sting on those who have been disobedient. But now Jesus, though we've been disobedient, has swallowed death on our behalf, carried our sin on the cross. And so what used to be a summons to death, to, to, to do its worst, to have its grim way with humanity, well, now it's a victory cry. Death, you have nothing on me. You might take me to the grave. You might make me worry on a Friday night in March about how and when it's going to happen. But your sickle is blunt. Your Venom has been taken. You're not going to beat me. You're not going to hold me. You're not going to keep us. Jesus has the victory. We will have resurrection bodies. And so Christians are hugely free people. Free from the fear, the power of death. We've just seen that. But also free to serve free to give ourselves sacrificially, wholeheartedly, whole bodily to the work of the Lord. And so just look at Paul's final verse, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. You see, as we said last week, this is my spare body, our spare lives. YOLO, you only live once, it just isn't true. FOMO, the fear of living, of missing out, is something we can be set free from. Because I do have a better life to come, imperishable, eternal. And so I can serve sacrificially in this life. This is slight and momentary affliction before an eternal weight of glory.
And so says Paul, always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. And in many ways, this is, this is my prayer for us as a church in the coming months. I think as, as the kind of early days of shock and fear at the seriousness of the epidemic in the UK became clear, I think the first instinct for many of us was, was to hunker down, to look after number one, to, to turn inwards, just think about me, my family. And it may well be that pressure to focus inward will only worsen in our society as things become more difficult. But Christians here and Christian churches here have a real opportunity to be, opportunity to be different, to be distinctive in self-sacrificial love, to not just be thinking, how will I survive? But be thinking, how will I serve the Lord? How can I be about his work? How can I love my neighbour? Sharing not just practical care, but alongside that, reliable, eternal hope. We're sitting on the truth that the world desperately needs. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us to trust you and the future you've promised, and so be freed to serve you and love one another and the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.